everybody. Welcome to another edition of the One Million by One Million podcast. Today, I'm here with Luis Gutierrez Roy from Telegraph Hill Capital. Luis, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sarmana. Pleasure being here. Tell us about yourself as well as about Telegraph Hill. Let's get to get you introduced to our audience. Sure. So, um, for the most part, I started my career in M&A in the U.S. Uh, lived in San Francisco in the mid to late 90s. Uh, worked for Hooligan, an investment bank, boutique bank in San Francisco, and then moved to uh, PwC in their corporate finance practice. Um, eventually decided for personal reasons to move back to Barcelona, where I'm from originally. Mm-hmm. And um, I joined PwC M&A practice out of Barcelona, running their TMT M&A sector nationwide, and then got involved in transactions globally from Spain. Um, eventually moved from PwC to EY, essentially to build their M&A team as well out of Barcelona, and did mm-hmm. that for about seven or eight years before I decided to launch Telegraph Hill Capital with a uh, set of people I had known over the years that I had personal or professional connections both in the U.S. and in Europe. Uh, and so we kind of started this as a uh, small fund for us to invest in startup companies in really early stages, but we mm-hmm. soon came to the conclusion that it was the best for us to bring on board LP money and invest in bigger checks in this type of companies. And so we raised our first 10 million fund um, and started investing off of that uh, around 2012, 2013, uh, built a portfolio of about 25 companies, uh, primarily in the US, a little bit in Canada and a little bit in Europe, and eventually Mm -hmm. uh, raised a second fund, which is about 20 million euros. That's investing again, primarily in the US, I should say probably most of it in California, Northeast U.S. as well as Montreal. Um, hmm. And again, we do occasionally we do investments in Europe and generally places where we have some type of presence, like Barcelona, for example. So you are still um, based in Barcelona, though? I am based in Barcelona, yep. I end up spending a fair amount of time in the Bay Area and in uh, L.A., uh, as well as Boston and Montreal, uh, but I am actually based in Barcelona. Yeah, our team okay. is in Barcelona. Yep. Okay. So um, talk about sectors and what kinds of companies do you like to invest in and what is the investment thesis? Right. So, uh, as I said, we invest in early, early stage. Uh, I, wanna, I don't want to call it pre-seed or seed or anything like that. I just say rounds that are typically less than $2 million uh, in companies that have raised less than $1 million before we come in. Um, and so we take lead role or co-lead or sometimes even as followers in rounds. Uh, we invest in notes. We do equity or price rounds as well. Um, and we're typically investing in companies in the single-digit pre-money valuations. Um, we do have a particular preference for B2B companies, and many of those actually follow SaaS uh, business models. Uh, however, we have invested also in B2C companies when we see there's a strong uh, subscription angle. So a good example for that would be companies like Clutter out of uh, Los Angeles or uh, The Books. These are two B2C companies. However, a big part of their business uh, is around subscription uh, from users to get, in The Books case, flowers delivered to their homes or in the case of Clutter, subscriptions for uh, physical storage of their personal belongings. I see. Okay. Um, 
but probably with 80 or 90% of our deals are in the B2B space. Okay. And um, what, within B2B SaaS, do you have any kind, any further um, specification or anything that you're looking for or any trends that you are particularly aligned with? Hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, we're pretty agnostic when it comes to verticals. <clears throat> There's some areas or uh, verticals that we like better than others. Uh, so we've done made some investments in productivity tools for enterprises. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's an area we really like where we can actually see how companies benefit from tools that help them make or run their businesses more efficiently and save costs uh, or produce incremental revenues. Um, we've done deals in the logistics space, um, in uh, fintech, um, we've made deals in areas that are more in the kind of uh, um, health or digital health space. Um, we've also invested in cybersecurity companies. So we're pretty agnostic when it comes to verticals. What we do need to see is some initial traction, so some level of monetization. Companies have to be able to get to a level of 20 to 30K MRR uh, by the time we come in. So okay. these are companies that have been around for maybe a year or two, have bootstrapped or have raised little money from angels or some acceleration programs, um, and they've been able to build a MVP, and they're actually kind of trying to get to product market fit. They're not quite there yet. However, there are some paying customers, and um, you know, growth is healthy and churn is low. Uh, companies that do not require a lot of funding to actually get to product market fit um, so, again, capital efficient companies. We're a small vehicle or investment fund, and therefore um, we try to get into companies that would not require a lot of money, i.e. dilution down the road, to build a uh, decent-sized business. So, that's a very good segue into a question that I'm going to ask you next. Um, you know, there are, in the history of venture capital, the, the traditional venture capital model has been that you have a portfolio of 10 companies, nine fail, one is a home run, and that's how you make your money, and you're looking for, therefore, you're trying to find 10 companies that at least you can somehow believe that is going to be unicorns. Of course, non, nine out of 10 are not going to succeed in doing that, but one will, and that's what, how you make your money. Yeah, hopefully. But, <laughs> but uh, in the, you know, today there are, so many small funds like yourselves, the micro VC category has exploded. And I personally believe, and I, I think there are quite a few investors who share my point of view, is that in that category, it is not necessarily it is not necessary to play the unicorn game. You can actually uh-huh. make money with capital efficient investment strategies and seeking early exits and uh, you know not put so much money into building a company and then you know, whether it will scale from zero to $100 million in five to seven years is a big question mark. That game yeah. is not necessary. Comment on mm-hmm. that for me. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. I mean, there's a lot of this talk about unicorns. For us, what's really important is what kind of cash and cash multiple we're getting on our investment. And so, again, dilution is a very critical component there. Um, there are companies that are acquired for less than $100 million, and our cash and cash return can be double-digit. Um, so we do not need to see unicorns necessarily. We do need to see companies that are capital efficient, that can actually build decent-sized businesses, 
and then get acquired eventually. Um, uh, but we're not in the business of looking for the next unicorn. Um, we're really in the business of looking for the next company that will provide that kind of multiple on our, on our money. Um, and so in our experience, most of the exits we've had have been in, you know, five to six to eight times our invested capital. This mm-hmm. is actually a great multiple. Um, it's a great and, multiple, absolutely. Yeah, it is. So not always. I mean, sometimes we've gotten like, you know, two times as well. Uh, and of course, we've had some casualties in the portfolio. Um, but yeah, we do not necessarily look for companies that are kind of necessarily uh, uh, have the potential to become a unicorn. Uh, these are companies that do need to operate in markets that are sizable, but do not necessarily need to get to the unicorn type of valuation. Yeah. Okay. Um, switching gears, tell me what's going on in Barcelona. What do you see? How is the ecosystem developing? What trends are emerging? Yeah, so Barcelona is actually interesting, uh, and this is also true for other cities in Europe, um, in, in, in a way that back five, six years ago, uh, there were two primary problems here. Number one was there was little available capital for early stage companies. Um, and so that kind of created a you know, very difficult for the players here to compete vis-a-vis other companies in other geographies uh, and companies that were much, well, much better fu- funded. So that was an issue in growing businesses. There was a lack of capital. Uh, that thing has been solved. And I'd say that there's probably abundant capital these days, not just in Barcelona, but probably in most of the big cities in Europe. Um, the other problem was, uh, in my opinion, there was a bit of a mentality problem in the entrepreneurs. Uh, I think that many of them would just think locally, uh, domestically, or just regionally. They would not think globally. Uh, and this was a function of, well, we have limited capital, therefore there's so much we can do with this kind of money. Uh, this thing has changed as well. I think that we were starting to see some generation of entrepreneurs that can see that you can build sizable business uh, out of uh, Europe. Uh, you do have the capital, and you're in a position that you can actually compete with you know, well-funded companies from other geographies like the U.S. or um, China. Um, and so this is actually becoming not an issue anymore. Now, what's, what's still a question mark is when... Uh, or how long will it take for those companies to close the circle from funding to exit? And right. with that regard, the European market is not as mature as the U.S. market, clearly. Um, yeah. We're many years behind, uh, and so we have not been able to really close the circle then, uh, there yet. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how many of the companies, uh, including unicorns today in Europe, will make it mm-hmm. to the finish line and what will be the outcomes for uh, the parties involved. And mm-hmm. so this is something yet to be seen. We've seen some examples, uh, mostly in the Nordic region, uh, Sweden, um, or in the UK, but we haven't seen that many in Southern Europe. Um, and so that's, that's true for Barcelona as well. Is there any uh, in Spain? Has any Spanish, uh, Spanish company found an exit? Um, Oh, the big, the big ones, uh, none that I know of, not in a good decade, I'd say. There's sub-100 deals. Um, there's a few in the several hundred million deals, but not too many. I'd say there's probably 
a couple or three of them per year that we've seen in the last four or five years. So mm-hmm. Social Point is an example in the gaming industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a company that acquired, um, I think, for about 200 or 300 million. But that's an outlier. So you have yeah. maybe one, two, three of those um, in each of the last two or three years. Uh, we have seen companies uh, getting substantial funding, however, again, in the last two or three years. Um, so Glove is a good example, uh, Wallapop, uh, Cabify, there's a few others. But those have not really crossed the finish line yet. So again, uh, you know, while I really want them to succeed, uh, it's just not a finished story yet. We'll have mm-hmm. to wait and see what happens there. Um, so I think that, again, uh, the new generation of entrepreneurs have what it takes to be able to cross the finish line, but now they have to execute on that and deliver. And so we'll have to wait and see if they are capable of doing that like we've seen in the U.S. Yeah. And um, what about other countries um, in Southern Europe? What, what else are you tracking <clears throat> and where do you see activity that is interesting? So, for example, we just made an investment in a company that was actually started in the U.S., however, uh, eventually moved to Bulgaria. And uh, so the founding team is a a female and two male um, from Bulgaria. Uh, They were in the U.S. They went through the 500 startup program in uh, uh, San Francisco, Mountain View, actually. I think it was San Francisco. Um, And eventually, when they finished the program, they decided to move back to Bulgaria, where they're product and uh, development team is based. Uh, the reason for that is it's a company called Claim Compass. Um, the reason why they did that was uh, because the market they're addressing is essentially the European market. Their solution helps uh, airline passengers to claim for um, delayed flight or canceled flights. And there's a mm-hmm. European regulation that uh, provides for this kind of reimbursements to happen when these problems that uh, happen in, in, in flying. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> this regulation does not apply to other geographies. It's, it's specific for uh, EU countries and EU oh, airlines okay. for the most part. That makes um, sense. And so it makes sense for them to essentially move to Bulgaria and particularly focus in Eastern European um, countries. So... Um, there's a lot going on in Eastern Europe these days, I have to say. Uh, you know, we tend to speak a, a lot about Berlin and London and other cities. We have covered, Europe, actually, on speaking of Eastern Europe, we've covered quite a bit the Czech Republic, and there's some very interesting stuff going on in Czech Republic. They have actually produced credible unicorns. Mm-hmm. Avast yep, and the AVG, the whole consumer security sector, they have done a very nice job of. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. And also those cases in which we've invested in a U.S. company, another example is Aptopia. They're based in Boston. However, a big part of their product tech development team are based in Kiev, in Ukraine. Yeah. And they've done, they're doing a phenomenal job. Um, and so it's not uncommon to see more and more distributed teams um, right. where a lot of their talent uh, or engineering talents based in Eastern Europe or other areas. Uh, yeah, well, and I think uh, as companies get to Series C, Series D, um, yeah. m- putting a sizable presence in the U.S. is not a bad idea to get to more of the exit discussions. The Indian companies have done mm-hmm. this very effectively. You know, they do, 
these days they do seed series A in India, but series B onwards they start putting a strong toehold in Silicon Valley so that they are part of the exit discussions and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very good. Um, what else should I have asked you uh, where you have interesting view from your vantage point that is interesting and worth discussing in this context? Um, so uh, one of the things, in, I think it's interesting what you mentioned about uh, many or micro or uh, nano funds operating in the market, which is absolutely true. There's a lot of funds out there that are in the early stage uh, sub-50 million uh, area. Um, for us, the truth is we've always positioned ourselves as a, the vehicle of choice for primarily LPs in Spain to access qualified deal flow in the U.S. Okay. And so for early stage uh, investors uh, or early stage LPs um, based in Europe and particularly in countries like Spain, it is extremely difficult to get to access um, good startup companies in California or in Boston or in Montreal. It's just very hard because a lot of the funds that traditionally invest in those geographies do not necessarily fundraise in Europe, let alone places like Spain. Mm -hmm. And so we always thought from the beginning, and particularly in my case, having lived in the U.S. and in California for several years, always thought there has to be a way for those investors, LPs, to mm -hmm. access the U.S. market uh, somehow uh, without yeah. having to write a 20 or $50 million check. Mm -hmm. um, which is what it takes to potentially get into some of the funds uh, in the U.S. that will do some fundraising in Europe. Um, mm -hmm. So there's a lot of family offices, and most of our investors are family offices or high-net-worth individuals. Um, there's a lot of those that will invest, you know, uh, anywhere between a half a million and two or three million uh, in any given fund uh, or committed to any given fund, um, but they just could not find easily the funds with a U.S. perspective that will do that for them. Um, yeah. And so we'll see a lot of LPs in Europe that are invested in European VCs. Some of them are domestic, like investing in a particular country. Some of them are more regional, so investing across the EU countries mm -hmm. um, or Southern European countries, uh, but not, not many of those that will be able to actually invest in US or Canada, or let okay. alone places like Southeast Asia, uh, it's definitely seen as a very uh, exotic type of investment. And I say there's a lot of risk aversion on the LP side, on the side of the pond. Yeah, cool. Very good. Well, um, thank you for sharing your uh, funds investment thesis. And audience, thank you for listening. We will be back with another edition of the 1 Million by 1 Million podcast. In the meantime, please go to the website 1mby1m.com and sign up for one of the free public roundtable slots. You're very welcome to come and discuss your business and your issues with us, and we will be happy to work with you in our free public roundtable working sessions. It's a safe working session. You don't need to be nervous. You don't need to be defensive. Just bring your project, and we will do what we can to help you accelerate. See you soon.